Good morning again. January 1st. I've preached this Sunday every year for the past probably 10 years at least. Uh, it's just a great Sunday for pastors to, to take off, so I get to do the first Sunday of the year. It's kind of gotten to be my specialty in some ways. Um, it has. Oh, I was just wondering in the congregation, who has already taken down their Christmas tree? Okay, your sermon illustrations. Okay, I think I got everybody. Yeah, it's that time of year, isn't it? It's, uh, no, we don't observe the really the strict calendar, so you know, we don't help not holding our Christmas tree up until uh, Epiphany. You know, so many of us have, we've yielded to something else, though, haven't we? It's, it's this uh, kind of coursing current desire to get the house back in order, right? Get this stuff put away, get it back in order. Uh, and so, and, and we, we've kind of come, this is January 1st, and what do you do in, on the 1st of January? What do you do around the first part of January? You, we're going to make some what? Going to make some resolutions. We're going to resolve to be better folks, right? You know, our culture, we kind of have this rhythm. And so we kind of come into to Thanksgiving, and we spend, we have this great hope that family, it's going to be great family. Did anybody have a really great family time at Thanksgiving? One or two? That's good. That's, that's a blessing. But by far the majority of us are going, family kind of, yeah, yeah, maybe wasn't quite as fulfilling as we thought it would be, you know, at, on the good side. So we have that rhythm, and then we kind of come out of that, and man, it's full on after that, right? It's shopping. It's we've got to get to Christmas, and there's a couple of kind of cultural narratives that are flowing in there that we have to kind of identify. One is um, there, we buy into this kind of cultural narrative that we can, we're somehow going to be fulfilled and have peace and have life through stuff. And we're going to, you know, so we do this kind of stuff thing. But even the culture has kind of said, oh, we want to step back from that just a little bit. It's really going to be about family. That's, you know, that's, this stuff is bad. Family. You know, we're all going to, heart's going to be a glow. We're all going to be together and family, and it's just going to be, it's going to be everything. And we have Thanksgiving repeated again. Yeah, I mean, not that there, it could be some good times. We have great times with our kids, you know, Emma, our oldest daughter, and her husband. You know, but in general, you get done with family, and did that really kind of, did that really hit it? Did that really kind of fulfill all that, that we need? Did that, was that really a source of life and fulfillment and peace? And if you're like me, you come out of Christmas, yeah, no. I'm kind of glad it's over. We can just get the kids back in school. Now we would really, that's our next one. Get the kids in school, we'll have peace, you know. And we have that rhythm, and so now we come into the rhythm of, it's the fresh new year. It's the gray January, but this force that's within us that says we've got to get our life sorted. Just get it together somehow. We're gonna we're gonna start the whole thirty diet, join the gym, declutter. You make your list, and we're gonna kind of get our life sorted. You know, and it's another just kind of cultural narrative that's kind of pushed on us. And it's not that resolutions are bad. They're not bad. 
But so often, underneath the resolution, there's this kind of bubbling current that's really a lot more to do with identity and peace and fulfillment. It's not just getting the house sorted. It's I really want to have a greater sense of completeness, wholeness, order, fulfillment, life, peace, all these things. And at some level, worth built into that. It's kind of bubbling under there. Bubbling and bubbling. And, and when we make resolutions from that place, we're actually making resolutions, we're actually working in ways that are against what we believe the gospel teaches us. And that's what we're, we're going to push into that just a little bit this morning in a passage in Philippians 1, that if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've heard this passage. It's kind of one of those go-to, it's a great passage, we're going to be looking at, at Philippians 3. So if you want to get your Bibles out, if you have Bibles with you, let's going to turn over to Philippians, Paul's book of the Philippians in the New Testament, his letter to the church at Philippi. We're going to be reading a little section of 1 through 16, actually. I think is how far I'm going. Yeah, 1 through 16. But before we do, <clears throat> before we do that, let's uh, stand together and just in honor of God's word. And uh, uh, we're going to pray and give him thanks, and then we'll, then we'll read the scripture together. Uh, Father, thanks so much for uh, this morning again for worship. Uh, it's so great to start the new year off uh, gathered together as your people, uh, worshiping you. And so, Father, as we come to your word, we just ask that you'll bless it as we read it, that your spirit will come and be our teacher, uh, that we will hear Jesus proclaimed. We pray this in his name. Amen. So we're going to uh, read uh, Philippians 3, verses uh, 1 through 16. You can stand or sit, whatever, is, whatever suits you. Um, and so being the guest preacher, you always have a different rhythm than the pastor does. So, you know, there's a little, always a little bit of awkwardness. That's okay, though. All right, so we're going to pick up, this is uh, actually the New American Standard, but try to follow along if you have a different version. This is Paul writing, uh, Philippians 3 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. This is God's word. Please be seated. So it's really, you know, it's the default mode of our hearts, of the human heart, to believe that our good works attain God's favor, that our good works gain God's favor, his affection, and that, our, that when we fail, we are, we are diminished in his affection. That's really what we boot up on. That's our, our default mode, that if we are disciplined enough, and I don't use the word sorted, which is, I think, a great word. If we're sorted enough, if we have our stuff together, if we have the right job, the right clothes, we look right, then heaven everlasting will be our reward. You know, that's our default, the default mode of the human heart. So we resolve ourselves from this place. We make our resolutions. That's, our, that's what we resolve from. That somehow I need to be better, and by being better, I can somehow earn blessing in my life, right? I can earn blessing in my life if I'm better. And when we do that, we're, we're operating, like I said a minute ago, in exact opposite of what the gospel teaches us. See, the gospel teaches us, and we'll see this a little more as we go, the gospel teaches us that we are in Christ, and we stand before the Father as totally righteous, declared forensically, legally righteous before the Father because of the work of Jesus. And we have all the blessings in the heavenly realm are ours because we are in him. Paul pushes back against the kind of resolution um, uh, thinking. He says, no, please don't do that. Don't hear that call. Don't rest in your performance. Rest in Jesus. Let's look at our text. I really want to try to stay pretty close to it and maybe work our way through because there's really a lot here. When you read it, there's a lot of phrases, a lot of thoughts. So what's really going on? So as Paul's writing again with, with joy, he says, it's, it's not a burden for me to write. It's really a safeguard. Beware the dogs. And there are people that had come into the church, which we, they're known as the Judaizers. Okay, so the Judaizers were different than the Jews. The Judaizers would have agreed a lot with who Jesus was. They, these are the same people that, that Paul deals with when he writes to the church in Galatia. Um, just um, the same issue, the same people. And what the Judaizers believed was that Jesus is good, but Jesus plus is better. Okay, that's who he's writing to. He's, saying, he's calling them dogs, which is a really, uh, it's a really pointed term because this is the term that the Jews would have used of the Gentiles. You know, it's like the worst you could say about them. 
And he's calling them the dogs. He's kind of turning it around on them. He says, beware of this evil work that they're doing when they're coming to say that Jesus is great, but Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus performance in the moral law, that's really where peace is found. You know you have Jesus, but if, but if, you, if your blood pressure, if you weighed right and looked right, if you had everything else lined up, that, that'd be, then you would really be blessed. You would qualify for greater blessing. The Jesus plus crowd. You know, that's, you think, think about it, the Jesus plus. You know, you can get Tide, Tide laundry detergent. You get Tide plus, Tide plus fabric softener. Tide plus bleach. You can get Dawn dishwashing liquid plus lavender hand soap. I mean, it's got, it's, uh, right? If Jesus is good, then Jesus plus. Man, that's got to be really good, right? And because there's that, you ever think about it? There's this, so Tide won't actually clean, so i got to have Tide plus something to clean. I thought I was buying Tide to clean. No, i got to have Tide plus bleach. That will really clean. All right, so Jesus, Jesus is enough, but we need to hedge our bets. And you know, what's really, what's really, um, what's really strange is, really amazing or hard here is that Tide plus bleach probably works better in some things. I would hope that Dawn plus kind of some softener would make protect my hands and make me feel better. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus, if you add anything to the work that Jesus has done, it takes you, it's a weird math. I've been helping Bella with her, her math in school, eighth grade math, and I'm having to learn it again. And Negative plus, AJ, what's a, if you had a negative plus this, what's the, is it a negative or positive in the end? It's just really confusing. And then the multiplication is really confusing. And this really confuses it because this says if Jesus is 100 and I add a negative 2 to it, I don't get a positive 98. I get zero. That it, it's polluting and poisoning to take anything with Jesus. With the righteousness that he gives us, takes us back to nothing. It's either, it's all or nothing. We're either totally dependent on what Jesus gives us or we're depending on something else. And Jesus plus anything is something else. And Paul is pushing back. Now, our first strategy, I'm gonna, and I'm going to try to give you three of these quickly for this new year, where we're going. Give you something to hang your hat on since I didn't give you an outline. Our first strategy for 2007 is I want you to push against the rubbish. That's what Paul has done right here. He's pushing against the rubbish. He wants, he's, he's listening out and says, okay, we got the, the Judaizers are coming in and they're saying, you got Jesus, that's great, but you need circumcision. And Paul pushes against that. And he says, you know what? If it was possible to have a righteousness that would please God, then I would be the guy. That's what he says. I mean, Look, look, he says in um, verse 4, although I myself might have confidence, even in the flesh, if anybody could, I could. Far more, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an eight-dayer. You have to assume that, you know, we assume that because of the environment that some of the, the Judaizers that are actually a, a, a talking to Paul were probably converts into Judaism that were converted, you know, and later in adult life, we were circumcised as adults. They weren't eight-dayers. 
Paul is an eight-dayer. I mean, he's the real deal. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. His heritage, his parents were, were, were Jews. They weren't from some other nation. He was the real deal. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Boy, that's a hard one. You start reading about the tribe of Benjamin, it's like, oh, they did some really bad stuff. Some, a lot of the bad stuff in the Old Testament were Benjamites. You know, then say, but it's, it's kind of another step. It's like, let me start taking you down just one more level. I'm not like some general Israelite. I'm a Benjamite. Take it down one. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Pure, pure, pure. Was it, AJ, were you and I having a conversation about 100% pure? Yeah. It's like, is you really, is, if you have to, is that a not, I mean, is that a redundant 100% pure? If it's pure, it's 100%. He was 100% pure. Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a part of the strictest sect, the Pharisees. And as to zeal, he was persecuting Christians. And as to righteousness, the way the Pharisees measured it, he was blameless. If anybody could do it, Paul says, I could do it. If anybody could. But whatever was gained to me, these things I count as loss. This passage, to me, one of the reasons I really like this passage is it's like in music, it's like a crescendo. It like rises. It like kind of starts, you know, beware. And he's kind of getting more, you see Paul getting louder and louder and louder as he goes. He's getting more and more passionate as he goes. He says, but whatever these things, they were gained to me, those things I count as loss. For the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, I feel like, at this point. He counts them as rubbish. All this righteousness, all the things that if you could depend on anything for peace, if anything could give you satisfaction, if anything could meet all your needs, Paul had it. He had it all lined up, and he says, you know what it is? It's rubbish. And rubbish is really, it's a really interesting Greek word. You know, the, the, they, they, we try to be really nice in our New Testament sometimes. Um, but that, that word in some of your Bibles is translated dung. Um, the, the closest I could find of what, like, what does this word really mean is, <clears throat> is when you clean an animal, like if you're hunting and you clean a deer or, or a rabbit or a squirrel or whatever, the stuff that you, you feel dress the animal, all the entrails that come out, that's what he's talking, that's what the word refers to. It's the most disgusting when I was a kid, we raised beagles and did a lot of rabbit hunting, okay? We had 15 beagles. And when, they, when we killed a rabbit, I remember my dad, they would field dress the rabbit because rabbits get really skanky if you don't. He'd field dress the rabbit, but he'd hang the entrails in a tree because he didn't want, it was so bad, he didn't want the dogs to get it. It's that disgusting. And he says, all the things I could depend upon, all the things that might give me peace and worth and value, they are entrails. They are rubbish. They are dung. They're the most disgusting of things. And I want God to take them all from me. I, they're loss. All I want to know is Jesus. 
And Paul wants the church in Philippi, and he wants us to push against all the things that we go to, all the cisterns for which we might drink to get life, to get peace. Push against it. Push it away. It's rubbish. Push it away. But don't just push it away. He wants you to pursue Pursue a relationship. Pursue this person that is Jesus. Because it's just a great phrase in verse 8. I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. The surpass. I just love that. The sur- it actually says the surpassingness is what it says. I count it all lost in view of the surpassingness of knowing Christ Jesus. trying to think in our life, what do we give that kind of value to? What do we give surpassing value to? And over the Christmas, get a lot of stuff over Facebook and whatever. And I've noticed there's one thing that people give surpassing value. There's one thing that comes into your life that you will, all of a sudden you will spend all your money on this thing. You'll give all your time, all your affection, all that. Anybody want to guess? One thing, grandbaby. <laughs> it's true, grandbaby. I've seen what I thought were, were normal, organized, intelligent people go totally la-la. My uh, good friend, Leah Mona Sylvie, down at Community, they had their first grandbaby, and it's always the first ones that does you in. Now, I don't have grandchildren. I don't have grandbabies. So I see it in my friends. And... Uh, their first grandbaby. Their first grandbaby is in Colorado. I'm like, I'm going to call Lee for lunch. What? He's in Colorado again? How much is a plane ticket to Colorado? It'll take, we'll give everything. The surpassing value of a grandchild is the closest thing I could think of that grabs a hold of us in that way. It? And if you don't have grandchildren, you're like, well, you see it though, don't you? Your friends you thought were intelligent totally lose it. And Paul is saying the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is that treasure in the field, isn't he? That we sell everything that we have to go and buy to get that treasure. Jesus is that pearl of great price, isn't it? That the merchant searching for pearls finds this, liquidates his assets to get this. I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, of knowing my Christ. It's all junk. I'll do away with all of it just to know him. And he's not talking about just kind of theology knowing, like up here knowing. It's much bigger than that. To be in relationship, to understand, to know that he cares for me, to know that he loves me, to know that it's finished in him. To know him. I count, I'll count it all loss. Everything. Because that has surpassing value. That's where it's at. <clears throat> surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. Rubbish, Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but one that comes through faith. He said, I want to know this Jesus who provides this righteousness that has nothing to do with my performance. Zero. 
Now, if you're here today thinking, well, this is Christianity thing do. First, I want you to forgive us because we so often act like it's up to us. In our own sin, we do that. When Jesus has provided it all, the righteousness we need to be, to be safe, to be secure with the Father, to have all our guilt done away with, to have the wrath of God satisfied, all of that is provided by Jesus. He hung on the cross and declared, it is finished. He took all of our sin, all of our, all of our good deeds that are worth nothing, and he nailed them to the cross. And he, he claimed, it is finished. It is done. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power, when I first read that, I'm like, wow, that's, it's a little kind of hard to understand, the power of his resurrection. What exactly does that mean? Paul's using some language. Um, the kind of, and I had to do a whole lot of study just to say, what exactly is he saying? And, you know, what, what did the resurrection do? One thing we know from the scripture is the resurrection proclaimed Jesus to be the son of God. And you know what, what the resurrection really does? Is in the resurrection, when God raised Jesus, Jesus says, it is finished. And God says, I agree. It is sufficient. <coughs> It is enough. Your payment is accepted. It is finished and it is accepted. And in the resurrection, Jesus now reigns next to the Father. He is on the right hand of the Father as we read in the creed. He is interceding for us. And you know what else he does? Is he has sent his spirit to live within us. To speak to us of all that Christ has done. To remind us of the truth of the gospel. To empower us against the world, against the flesh and the devil. His spirit has been sent, and this is the power that comes from the resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings, well, that was a hard one. I almost wanted to skip over that one, you know. Because we, I mean, it's not, we don't pray for suffering, okay? We don't do that. But can you get into Paul's mindset and think for just a second, the passion that he is speaking with, that he wants all these things as righteousness to be counted lost. And he wants to know Jesus. He wants to know him to the degree that Jesus, you do whatever it takes. You take me to whatever place I need to go to. That that stuff is removed. And that I know you better. Whatever it looks like, I trust you. The fellowship and the sufferings. That being conformed to his death, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Right. Attain to the, to saying the resurrection of the dead is, is another way of saying that I might reach eternal life. This is my goal. The philosophers call this a telos, my ultimate end or purpose. Okay, this is what I'm pushing forward to. So not only are we going to push away from righteousness, from our rubbish, we're going to push into Jesus toward this goal. Of eternal life. All right. And we're not only we're going to do that, we're going to press. We have one more. <clears throat> if I can keep my voice for just a little bit longer, we're going to press toward the prize. Let's keep reading. 
Not that I've already attained it or have become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We're not there yet. All right. So part of starting this year and pressing is realizing we're not there yet. All right. We haven't gotten it all yet. We don't always understand the great power and truth of the gospel. We don't always desire and want to know Jesus. And sometimes we really think sitting in the middle of our rubbish is the best thing to do. All right. We haven't laid hold of it yet, but we're going to press on that we may lay hold of that for which we were laid hold of by Christ. To me, that's the real, the motive, the power. That's, I mean, that's, that's good stuff. Why do we press on? Because Jesus has his grip on us. He has laid hold of us. This is why we press on. Paul's trying, I just want to press into Jesus because Jesus has got such a tight grip on me. Who's the grip winner in the church, men? Who's the guy you don't want to shake hands with? You know, you can be honest here. This is church. I, I know down at communion, there's a couple guys. Steve, you know, Steve Webb. Just don't shake hands with Steve Webb. Oh, there's another guy, John Chaperone, new guys. Man, you shake, as a guy, you walk up to him and you just kind of firm up and you go in. Because they're going to break your knuckles. You know, they got the strongest grips. You know, and Jesus has a grip on us. That, that, that will not slip. And this is, the, this is the, the power. This is how we can press on. So Paul gives us a strategy here. He says, uh, <clears throat> Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. So how do we press on toward the prize? There's one thing I do, he says. I forget what lies behind. <clears throat> I don't think any of you guys are old enough. You may be. I haven't done the math. But uh, <clears throat> back in August of 1954, the four-minute mile was broken. never been broken. Well, in 1954, the four-minute mile was broken by a man named uh, Roger Bannister. He was an Englishman. And just maybe a month after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, an Australian named John Landy broke his record. <coughs> Okay, so there, and it's kind of setting up. Here's two guys running at the same time that both broke the four-minute mile. So it set up this race. There was actually about six guys in the race, but it was really focused on these two, and it was called the Miracle Mile. You can leave here, go home, look it up. It's recorded on YouTube in black and white. You watch the Miracle Mile be run. All right. So Roger Bannister and John Landier, they, they take off in the pack. They're running, but the, all the expectation is these guys are going to win. And John Landy is known for setting a really fast pace. So he gets out in front and he opens up a, about a five yard, 15 feet plus lead. Now Roger kind of stays with him. Roger's known for that, that last quarter. I mean, he, he's got a lot of speed at the end. So he just got to, he wants to stay. He's got to keep, you know, not let John get too far out in front, right? The rest of the, rest of the, the, the pack, man, they're fading. They're way back there. And you see, you see Roger or John, just launching out and Roger falling behind him and it's staying about 15 yards or 15 feet which is a pretty good distance you know I think they have to make four laps around this track so they come in and slowly so you get you get around about that last turn and Roger says in the later interview he says I felt like I was too far I had to so I pulled up he pulls up on him a little bit and he gets about 
just to, you know, maybe he's now five feet behind him. He's kind of holding there. <coughs> they come around the turn. They're headed toward the straight. And, and John Landy's running. And he looks back over his left shoulder. And when he does, Roger Bannister passes by him on the right and wins the race. Both of these guys in interviews later said, John Landy says, if I had not looked back, I would have beat him. And Roger Bannister said, when he looked back, I knew I had him. The one strategy of pressing toward the prize is don't look back. Okay, think about the Apostle Paul. What did he have in his past? He was a persecutor of the church. In Acts, let's see where it was, in Acts 8, says this, but, but Saul, Paul, was ravaging the church. He entered house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul was a persecutor of the church, and not just he wrote bad things on a blog, you know. He was a bad guy. That was behind him. How could you imagine being that guy and then hearing Jesus say, okay, I have a calling for you, Paul. I want you to go and do this. How could you ever do that? But, but I can't. I was the guy who killed Christians. I killed the, these very people. I can't. How debilitating that would be. And Paul is saying, I want you to forget what lies behind. All the voices in your past that are trying to define you and tell you, you are not good enough to be a servant of Jesus. You're not good enough to love him. Think about what you did. You can't know him. He won't have anything to do with you. To put those things to death, leave them in the past. Forget what lies ahead. Turn our eyes. And the image he gives us, the whole thing is a race, isn't it? The image he gives us is this race. And I love like the, 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 the track runners in the Olympics or whatever, you know, they're running. When they get to the end, they're leaning in. And in, in this last Olympics, we had, actually had a lady, when she got to the end, she dove. I don't know if you've seen that. She went spread eagle to win the race. She pressed in, pushed in, said, lean forward to this upward call. And that upward call is in Jesus. He has worked for us. Let's lean forward into what he's calling us to. It's not coming out of earning anything. Remember, we've already established and it's saying right here again, in him, in Christ. All right. We lean forward toward the upward call of God in Christ. And that is what Christian maturity looks like. That's what Paul says. If you're mature, this is the way you should be thinking. Forget what lies ahead. Press on. Press forward. And so there's our three strategies for the year. Push back against the rubbish, all right? Push into knowing Jesus and press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for just uh, sustaining my energy to get through the, the message. I just pray that you will uh, take this through your spirit, that you will remind us of what is true and good, that you draw our hearts towards you, and you draw our hearts out in love and gentleness and patience and kindness. Father, that we may image you, that people may look at us and see the light of the gospel shining. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.